Hey everybody, Brian Boyle here and welcome to another episode of Run Painless, Run Ageless. I'm your host and if you're just joining us for the first time, welcome. Hope you'll find what you're looking for here and if you have not gone to episode one, I encourage you to go back to episode one, take a look and uh, and listen into who this is for, a little bit about, about me as a physical therapist, a runner, um, you know, this age group, the demographic this is for. I won't bore you with the details. As a matter of fact, I'll let you listen into a, a great episode in episode one. Um, and for those that are joining us again, I appreciate you coming back. So today I want to talk to you about what do you do when you are injured or are sick, and then we get back to a return to run program. So when you are sick or injured, the problem is that you're not training, right? And this is this is what drives everybody absolutely nutsy cuckoo. You're uh, you're not training. Um, it could be for any length of time. It could be for weeks. It could be for months. You know, whatever that case may be, depending on the illness, the severity of the injury. Um, it, it, but it's, it's psychologically, it's, it's one of the toughest things that I think we have to deal with as runners. Uh, sometimes it's, you know, we, we think about it's the, the length of time out running, but I think if anybody's ever been injured, that uh, the not being able to run is even more psychologically debilitating than, than anything else. So I'll start off by talking about if you are injured musculoskeletally and you have, say, a stress fracture, maybe you've got uh, you know, a tendon issue or a muscle issue uh, you know, where you've torn or strained the, uh, uh, the muscle or you've sprained a ligament. You know, these things, uh, you know, probably we're looking at anywhere between uh, you know, 6 and, and 12 weeks of of um, you know being out okay so what ends up happening in this time is that we will get muscle atrophy unless you are able to maintain through something also some other uh, you know activity so if you're not able to run but you're able to cycle because of the where the injury is or you're able to uh, you know run in the water you know in pool running depending on where the injury is whatever that may be if you can keep some sort of physicality going uh, you know you're not going to lose quite as much especially because of the cardiovascular conditioning so you'll be able to keep lung capacity your vo2 max won't you know become severely de- you know depleted uh, you know as it potentially would in some sort of medical condition or an illness and being out and running so in those particular cases we usually say that and it's a generic but it's but it's a, a good rule of thumb is about every two two weeks for every one week off, okay, is what it'll take to get you back. Now, again, that will come into play if you are able to maintain your current body weight. Here's the problem is a lot of folks will gain 5 to 10 pounds at a bare minimum when they're not being as physically active just because of the, you know, the, the sustained nutrition that they will continue to get. Most people don't opt to change their nutrition. They don't change the way they eat based on the, the lower activity, they eat the same meals, the same amount, the same frequency. And unfortunately, they're not burning as much. If you're, if you're interested in this, you can look at look up metabolic equivalents. Uh, you can see something like a metabolic equivalent for, for vacuuming, um, you know, for a 160 pound person will be like 70 calories in a half hour, right? So 70 calories in a half hour, versus somebody that runs a nine minute mile, 
okay, for that same body weight, 160 pounds, is going to run something like, uh, you know, is going to is going to burn something like 330 calories in you know in 30 minutes. Okay, the significant difference that nine minute mile is a, is an 11 uh, on a metabolic equivalent. The vacuuming is like a 3.3, and and so they're not equivalent. So you'd have to find an activity that's equivalent wise and running. It really doesn't nothing really matches running. Uh, you know, metabolic equivalent wise, especially as you start getting up to eight minute pace, seven minute pace, six minute pace and faster. And so you really start to see that more calories are burned through even a half hour or an hour of running than, than in just about any other activity that you can sustain, right? I mean, um, you know, I see these things where it's like, hey, jump rope for an hour. And I'm like, who jump ropes? Who's jumping rope for an hour? Right, I'd like to meet these guys. That I, you know, I think there's a guy that set a world record that like jumped rope for, for like 24 hours straight or something. You know, ridiculous. Because I'm thinking, I've jumped rope for like 10 minutes one time, and I thought, this is crazy, right? I'm not sure if you've ever tried jumping rope, but uh, uh, you know, to see something like this where it'll tell you how much you burn in an hour jumping rope, and you go, okay, if I could jump rope for an hour without going, you know, out of my mind, um, you know, then I think we'd be on to something, but it's just not going to happen. Most people aren't doing that. So, so looking at your metabolic equivalents, you see that uh, what ends up happening happen is that you've got to then reduce the amount of calories that you're bringing in, probably clean up the diet quite a bit as well, um, you know, in, and looking at the, uh, the lower fat foods, uh, you know, still getting your carbohydrates, still getting your proteins, but, but lower fat foods um, that, you know, will sometimes be burned off when, uh, you know, when running. And that's the, that's the fallacy that we run into is that most of us feel that we can eat whatever we want while running. And, you know, and in reality, it's, it's, it's just not the case. Um, it's just not the case. So when we think about that, if you're looking at 5 to 10 pounds of body weight increase, um, it's going to take some time to get that off. There was an article in 2014 uh, in Runner's World, and Amanda McMillan kind of looked at, you know, what's the ideal race weight? Um, you know, if you were at your ideal race weight, or even maybe a, a few pounds heavier when you got injured, um, and now you're five to ten pounds heavier than that, you know, again, that could take that could take you know six, nine, twelve weeks to to just get the weight off to get you back down. And sometimes the the the, the rule is you know one minute for every pound. Okay, um, you know, slower, especially in the marathon for the longer distances. You know, so so one minute for every pound, you're going to be slower. Uh, I've seen it. Uh, you know, if you start your interval training back again. And you're five to ten pounds heavier, you know. Tie, tie a uh, tie a five pound weight around your waist and try and run with that. It's just it it doesn't work very well. Now, obviously, it you know five pounds just doesn't go on overnight, so that's why it doesn't feel quite as different. Okay, until you get out and run, and you're like, well, what the heck? Well, hmm, did the did the the road change, or did uh, is the Earth's gravitational pull getting you know heavier here? It's like, oh no, I might have gained a few pounds uh, in that time off. So be mindful of that. 
when we get back to return to running, generally a good rule of thumb also. And again, I'm using a lot of generalities because it's going to be individualized to every person. So you can't ever really go wrong if you're following these general guidelines, but you're going to know whether or not you can advance faster or if you need to slow up based on um, you know, recurring pain, based on how you feel. Okay, Rates of perceived exertion can sometimes come into play here where if you are feeling sluggish or you're feeling just kind of exhausted or wiped, then you back off a little bit, right? I mean, there could be many signs. Could be nutrition, could be not sleep. Uh, could be that you're just not ready. Trying to push too far, too fast, that overtraining. Um, now, again, listen to your body. Your body usually will tell you exactly what you need from it. So um, if, you're, if you're going back to the return to running, it's usually a good rule of thumb to go into a walk-jog program for the first 30 days. Now, what a walk-jog program can look like is um, something like this, where you would run for 30 seconds, and then you would walk for four and a half minutes, and then you would repeat this for up to 30 minutes. So in that time, all right, you'd get six cycles of this 30-second jog, four and a half minute walk, okay, for your 30 minutes. Then maybe you take a day off. Then the next day, okay, so on the third day, you would run for a minute and walk for four minutes, and you would repeat that again for, for six cycles and get up to that 30 minutes. Maybe take the next day off. On day five, you would go a minute and a half, and then three and a half minutes of walking, so one and a half minutes jog or run, three and a half minutes of walk, again for that six cycles, so that over four weeks period, you get to the point where now you're going to running, okay, by the time you're done, you're running for uh, four and a half minutes, and then maybe you're jogging for 30 seconds, and then you're repeating that for six cycles, and then you're getting to that point where you're able to run for 30 minutes overall. Again, this is going to be dependent on how long you were gone. So if you were out for you know a stress fracture that took six to eight weeks for you to get back to running, um, you know, and again we're thinking that you know two minutes or I'm not sorry two minutes, but two weeks for every one week off. But you were training, you were able to get into the um, you know into the pool, you were maybe on an alter G. Um, you know, chances are your conditioning level is probably much higher than the average person. So it may not be quite as long that four weeks to get back to complete running. And maybe at the end of the four weeks, you know, maybe you're running longer than a half hour uh, and you're feeling comfortable doing so. But remember that the bones have got to be able to adapt to the stress that has taken place in a stress fracture. So you really don't want to have to remodel a bone that isn't completely healed or try to break it down you know, while we're, while we're creating this new stress of starting to run on it. So your body will tell you if you're not ready to run, okay? Like I can guarantee it. Um, now let's take the opposite of this. Maybe say you had uh, pneumonia. Maybe you had some sort of condition or disease that uh, kind of completely wiped you out. Maybe you were in a car accident. You were in a coma. You, you wake up, uh, you know, and, and your body weight was significantly re reduced, right? Uh, you know, maybe you lost 30 pounds or 40 pounds because of the illness or the injury, and, and you're wanting to get back to running. Uh, well, again, this is going to take much longer because of the fact that you were probably not doing any exercise whatsoever. So your lung capacity, that became deconditioned. The muscles, 
the bones, okay, they became deconditioned. Maybe you weren't getting nutrition much at all. Um, you know, nutrition to sustain life versus nutrition to sustain sport performance is going to be significantly reduced. So maybe you lost, like I said, that 30 or 40 pounds in a few months. Um, again, you're going to take that into consideration as to how much skeletal muscle and bone mass you have. Um, you know, and what's the nutrition like in getting back to this? So maybe it's that you stay on that return to running program much longer than the four weeks. Maybe this is where you say, all right, you know, I'm going to jog 30 seconds and I'm going to walk four and a half minutes and I'm going to do this six, this six cycle uh, day of, of 30 minutes and I'm going to do this for three or four weeks until I get up to the point where I feel like I can tolerate that. And then maybe you go and you change that to that one minute, four minutes, okay? And you maintain that for a few weeks. And you build up over a 12 to, you know, 16 week period, so, so almost four months of building back up to that return to running versus just trying to get back to running altogether. Again, you know, you'll hear this number that says, oh, you know, um, you know no more than 10% of your, uh, you know, of your weekly mileage, okay, should be introduced in a, uh, in, in a week to, to, to keep things, uh, you know, in, in check. Uh, again, that has to be taken with a grain of salt because of the fact that even 10%, okay, uh, you know, while in some senses could be too low, if, uh, if you increase 10% every week versus taking, you know, 10% and then, you know, plateauing at that for a week or two and then adding another 10% and, and jumping your weekly mileage up gradually, is going to be much better for you. So even new runners, you know, I would encourage to, to, you know, some folks will say, oh, 12 weeks is enough for a base. Uh, you know, maybe it's 20 weeks that's that's enough for a base, right? Maybe you don't even start considering to race uh, until after, uh, you know, six months of, of training, okay? And then starting after that six months of that base, then going another 12 weeks of a base, and then having some sort of, you know, where you increase your intervals and your tempo runs and, and your, uh, um, you know, whatever it is, race-specific training that you may do, you know, again, you, you've got a nice base of building up your mileage to the point where you're not just going from from zero to 40 miles a week or, or 60 miles a week and then wondering why you're injured. So I would caution you caution you, caution you, when folks say, hey, I'm going to go back to 50% of what I was doing, um, and I'm only going to increase my mileage by 10%, but I'm going to increase it every, you know, every week, 10%, that, uh, uh, that can add up pretty quickly if you try to go back to pre-injury or pre-illness running, so, uh, you know, no more than about 10 to 15 miles the first week, see how you tolerate um, you know, again, 20 to 25 miles over the next couple of weeks. And what I would do is probably go 15 miles at most, see how you do. If you wanted to bump it to 20 the next week, okay, and then bring it back down to 15 the following week. So week one is 15, week two is 20, week three is 15, week four is 20, okay. And then week five would be, you know, maybe 25 miles. Week six would be 20, okay? Week seven would be 25 miles, okay? Then week eight would be 30, and you start noticing that it's incrementally increasing, so you're going up, and you're coming back down, you're going up, you're coming back down, and what you're doing is you're allowing the muscles, the ligaments, the bones to, to, 
to basically become reacquainted with making contact with the ground. Okay, so we've got to be able to tolerate that so that we don't run into other injuries. And, and notice that that progression stepped up, came back down, stepped up, came back down, and then only after you know kind of two weeks there, then we bumped up. Okay, so it, it's not this you know every week is just bumping, 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 and so you know going from 15 to 20 to 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, you know 55, 60. You know, and by week eight being at 60 miles a week, okay, versus still only being at maybe 30 miles, all right, you know, you can say, again, some people will be able to bounce back that much quicker. I'm going to say that it's probably those that are very biomechanically sound, those people that actually, um, you know, may have only had some sort of injury that, you know, like I said, they, they were still able to, um, you know, to function and, and get some sort of uh, VO2 max workouts in and, uh, you know, and, and were able to continue on with, uh, with a good sense of conditioning, they're going to be able to return much faster. But don't let that fool you if, uh, if you weren't in the best shape before you got injured chances are that's not going to be you that's going to be bumping. This is your professional athlete that uh, was able to tolerate quite a bit of workload, uh, maybe had a minor setback, you know, they were only out six weeks or 12 weeks or whatever, but, um, you know, and then is able to ramp up pretty aggressively pretty quickly. That's also under supervision, right? That's where you've got a coach that's saying, hey, you know what, based on this, um, you know, based on what you're currently doing, based on where you were, we're going to monitor, we're going to take a look at these things, um, you know, maybe we're going to measure, we were kept you on a strict diet to begin with, so you didn't ever gain any weight. Uh, that doesn't typically happen without you know, very strict oversight and coaching. So hopefully you find some benefit in this. If you do, please go back to whatever site that you're listening to these podcasts on. Uh, I would appreciate it if you would leave a review. That always helps with uh, with giving others an idea as to what they're listening to. Um, you know, it also just helps with rankings and, and getting the message out to other people. So I appreciate that, uh, you know, and if, uh, if you found some value in this, share this with your friends, your family, your training partners. If you're looking for some video ideas, you can go to the Mesh Tongue channel on YouTube. It's M-E-S-H, Tongue, like the tongue of the shoe on YouTube. I've got videos over there, so if you're a visual learner, uh, you know, go check that out. Subscribe to the videos and, and uh, uh, you know, update those uh, ever so often. And, uh, and until next time, you know, when uh, we've got another podcast out here, we'll look back to see you here and uh, have a great day. We'll talk soon. All right. Bye. Hey, everybody. Brian Boyle here, and welcome to another episode of Run a Painless, Run Ageless. I'm your host. And if you're just joining us for the first time, welcome. I appreciate you listening in. I would encourage you to go back to episode one, listen to that, listen to who I am, who this podcast is for, what I'm, you know, uh, you know, why I'm doing this as far as who I am as a physical therapist, as a runner, uh, you know, why I feel like I've got the experience to talk to you about this. I think you get, you know, a good idea from that first episode. And if you're coming back and you've listened to me four episodes, perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. As always, thanks for being here. Today, I want to talk to you about the soleus muscle, which is the smaller muscle underneath your gastrocnemius in the calf. So this is the muscle that's used when your knee is bent 
and you're you know moving your foot or ankle. Okay, so this is uh, this is really important. Uh, you know, if you're climbing stairs, if you're doing hills, uh, you know, if you're running in general. Okay, the soleus does work. It, uh, it's not a primary mover like the gastroc, but uh, like I said, when the knee is bent, the the soleus is actually firing. But uh, this is a tough one because because there's uh, there's a lot of folks that will get soleus injuries for one reason or another. Okay, like I said, if you're hill, you know, hill running, if you're doing repeats, um, you know, if you're uh, uh, you know, if you're just, you know, twist your ankle, uh, I've seen folks get soleus, uh, you know, injuries with that, um, you know, any number of reasons, like I said. So what you're going to experience is you're going to experience some pain and it's going to be deep into the muscle in the back of the calf. And, you know, you're not really, sometimes you're not able to touch these ones, right? Because the gastroc is, is a little bit more superficial, um, but you'll notice that whenever your knee is bent and you you kind of flex your, or uh, you know kind of extend your ankle, that you will notice that the pain is obviously more severe then. Now, what we have to rule out for soleus muscle injuries is any sort of uh, sciatic nerve discomfort or some sort of uh, you know referral pain coming from the low back. That's uh, that's certainly an area that uh, that can refer to the calf. Um, you know, so I've seen folks that have central cord issues where you know, the spinal cord is compressed by a disc and that can put pressure into both sides of the leg. Uh, also, we want to make sure that it's not intermittent claudication, which is a condition where the blood vessels of the legs are affected, right? And so how we determine both of those is that, um, you know, certain positions you may feel better. Okay, or may not even have an issue whether your knee is bent or not bent, that you have that pain in the calf. Um, that's going to be more of that nerve-related issue. If it's the intermittent claudication, what's going to end up happening is you're going to have pain with activity. It's usually bilateral, so both legs are going to be painful with activity. Uh, it could start in the calves. It, it could be in the, in the, in the thighs. Uh, but what ends up happening is that with that activity, you start getting this leg pain because the blood vessels are starting to shut down this intermittent claudication, so we're, we're claudicated but only intermittently, then you sit down, relax, and rest, and the blood flow goes back into the legs, you feel better, and you start up again, um, you know, that's kind of the intermittent claudication, so that's how we'd kind of diagnose this gastroc, or I'm sorry, the soleus pain versus, um, you know, the gastroc, or versus the intermittent claudication, which the blood vessels are involved, or the sciatic nerve itself, perfect, so, with the soleus, what uh, what we typically will do as far as treatment, okay? Soleus, uh, you know, you can tape, and I've got uh, on my YouTube channel the uh, I've got a uh, an episode on the uh, the soleus muscle, and uh, and I'll link that into the show notes here. You can tape the soleus. You can actually uh, um, you know scrape down the connective tissue. And, you know, whether it's the instrument assisted soft tissue mobilization, whether it's got a name like the uh, um, Graston technique or um, A-STEM, those are proprietary names, but, but lo and behold, they're, they're instrument assisted soft tissue mobilization. Um, so we can scrape down that connective tissue. We, we kind of create this, uh, this blood flow underneath and, you know, can promote healing within. Uh, this is another one where, where the dry needling works really, really well. So a licensed physical therapist that's, that's skilled in dry needling uh, can stick a fine gauge needle into that area to try and get the, the trigger point to release if there is a muscle knot inside the soleus. Um, 
KT tape or kinesio tape or strength tape or rock tape or whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, can sometimes benefit this as well. Uh, you know, sometimes just providing some support, sometimes giving a little bit of a lift, uh, you know, has, uh, has been beneficial. The, uh, the soleus, you know, is a tough one. Uh, if it's truly a soleus muscle, you know, it usually responds pretty well. I've seen some pretty quick results where we put, uh, you know, a regimen of instrument of soft tissue instrument assisted soft tissue modes easy for me to say um, we've done a um, uh, stretching and then done electric stim and heat with KT tape on at the end and within one to two visits it's seen a very good improvement if it is truly just a soleus muscle that's got a knot uh, it's kind of tough to tear the soleus uh, not, not that it can't be done um, but it, you don't see that very often where there's an actual like complete tear of the soleus um you know you'd think something like that you'd have to be falling or coming off something or land with your knee bent and flexed to see the actual just the soleus uh, uh kind of tear you're, you're usually going to tear the achilles before you'll you'll tear anything else um but you know again it, it's not that it doesn't happen it, it can happen uh, so if you're if you're thinking about physical therapy treatment again uh, probably two to three visits at absolute most. The initial evaluation, you're going to go about 150 bucks. Uh, two to three visits after, you know, or, or in that regimen, um, you know, again, so initial eval by itself is 150. You're going to probably have another 150 in charges. If you are paying self-pay or you still have that high deductible since it's still March, um, you know, again, about 150 to $200 a visit after that. And you're looking at anywhere between about 600 to 800 bucks. You typically don't need an MRI for the, the soleus muscle. That's that's one of those things that folks. X-ray is not going to do anything. Obviously, MRI. You could do an MRI, but uh, you know, again, not going to necessarily be necessary if you get in to see somebody and, and they say, "Oh yeah, yeah." Uh, we'll take a look at the pelvis first to make sure that the pelvis isn't out of alignment. Um, you know, the, the connective tissue is not snagged somewhere, that the, that the sciatic nerve is not snagged somewhere. And it truly is just this, uh, this soleus muscle. Uh, again, like I said, relatively quick treatment. That uh, uh, couple visits and you should be well on your way. The runners that I've seen with this, uh, you know, they've come in and, uh, you know, it's usually like couple days before a race they get treated and, and and they've raced just fine the, the uh, you know the next couple of days so like I said two to three at, at absolute most and that's depending on how long you've been living with this right if it goes on for much longer than you know than a couple of weeks uh, or if it's been struggling with this for years uh, you know it's it's probably something and I didn't even talk about the nutrition side of things uh, where you, you may be depleted in some sort of uh, or a deficiency of some sort of uh, mineral uh, but Usually it's not a soleus issue if this has been going on for years. You know, we used to talk about calf cramping and, and uh, you know, the, the potassium and sodium channels. Uh, you know, there's more science behind the magnesium uh, deficiencies. Uh, you know, we, we can become magnesium deficient through sweat, uh, but magnesium does about 300 things in the body. You can also... Uh, um, you know, become depleted just fluid volume-wise, right? So not getting enough fluid. So depending on the time of the year or the activity that you're getting uh, or not getting, um, you know, or what you're doing leading up to that point, again, we could have some fluid volume loss. So, so yeah, it's probably for the soleus or the calves and those sorts of things. Usually, best to get checked out by by a, a trained expert. Uh, you know, make sure that uh, that you're taking care of yourself. Uh, I do also like rolling, so that uh, that vector T pin, as I've talked about before, I do like that. So rolling the calves out usually works very very well 
you know, and again, just to kind of make sure that we're not having any issues in the uh, the connective tissue and the muscles themselves long term. That's a good thing just to do on a consistent basis, and by consistent, I mean daily. So, you know, when I when I say consistent, that uh, interchange that with daily. Uh, I think I've mentioned that in, in some other episodes, and if I haven't, then that's you know exactly what we're talking about when we think about consistent, uh, especially with rolling is daily. So uh, that should be it for the soleus. If you've got questions, uh, you know you can always email me Brian B R I A N at company5k.com. I've had lots of folks emailing me over the last couple of weeks. I do try and get back to you within uh, within 24 hours. Uh, sometimes you know, the other day I had an email and I got back to the person within 15 minutes, and they're like, whoa. That's, that's crazy. Uh, so it just depends on the timing and, and whether you catch me or not uh, in between uh, you know, other activities or seeing patients. But I do try and get back to you within 24 hours. And as always, uh, please share this with your friends, your family, your training partners. But don't go hurting yourself to come back. And if you wouldn't mind, if you could go to wherever you're listening to this on, uh, so whether it's uh, Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, uh, and leave a review for me, that would be awesome. That's, uh, that way other people can uh, have an idea as to what uh, they're getting themselves into when they listen to these episodes. And as always, I appreciate it, and hopefully we'll see you again back here soon. All right, take care. Brian Boyle, and have a good one. See you.